Hi, everyone. Um, welcome back to another episode of Common Sense. Um, this is your host, Joseph, again. And today I have with me Edmund, uh, who, who I used to work together with back in Traveloka, and he was leading uh, product UX and design. And he was actually the person who taught me some of the basics behind design thinking, which has which have benefited me till today. And I'm very grateful to him for that. Um, so without further ado, I hand it over to Edmund for a quick introduction before we kick off the this, this episode. Yeah, all right. So I'm very foreign to this format. Um, <laughs> try my best. Uh, so yeah, I think like what Joseph uh, said, we, we met back in Traveloka and uh, uh, Joseph was a pivotal in helping me get my job in uh, my Boeing adventure in Sweet Escape uh, <laughs> as the VP of uh, UX. And um, currently I'm focusing uh, more on product functions. So I'm actually uh, leading product initiatives, uh, working as a product manager. Um, but, you know, the, the core of my experience really came from um, user experience, user experience design and looking at how that can drive um, products, results and, and customer satisfaction. So very happy. Uh, I, I would say I'm not um, traditionally trained in design, um, kind of uh, like a pinball, found my way to it, um, zigzagging. So uh, I'll just share from my perspective and, and um, you know, always reference um, the literature. There's a lot of literature out there to reference and I'll just share what, what worked for me, what didn't. Cool. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to say that y- your path to you to kind of being a, a, a leader in UX was not linear. It was ping pong. You did a number of things before this. I think you you, you did marketing. You founded your you were co-founder of a travel company, right, back in San Francisco. And you do want to talk a bit about that before we kind of like dive dive into the UX topic. Some yeah, of your previous uh, experiences. Yeah. I think I was in the in the in the um, initial stages of a company, not a co-founder. Yeah. Uh, Previously, I had a chance of trying to get my own startup going, but I think that that uh, didn't go very well. <laughs> uh, and uh, actually, my background is in social research. I think that was a very natural segue because a big part of user experience was talking about, you know, uh, people's behaviors and motivations. And um, I think um, social research really helped you to understand, you know, um, behaviors and social constructs. Um, I guess the zigzagging part is how to apply that into actual business environment, you know, where everyone's talking about revenue and business metrics. How do you, how do you get uh, conversations about human behaviors going? I think that's the part where, you know, I'm still to today exploring that and trying to find out um, how we can put, um, you know, product hypothesis or business hypothesis as bets on how we think customers will behave. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I, I think that's kind of um, the gist of, of my early career. Yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting. And um, yeah, so maybe we can, I think now is a good time maybe for you to tell us what do you think are the core tenets of UX, kind of like a crash course on design thinking 101. Yeah, yeah I think uh, that there are a lot of uh, theoretical definitions and, and I'm I'm definitely going to get it wrong. <laughs> so, uh, don't be too humble. Don't discount yourself. <laughs> I'm going to preface it that it's, it's my interpretation, right? That, that I think has worked in, um, 
solving actual business problems that I've seen. Um, I think that the, the, the main goal of user experience is an emphasis on your customer's experience um, across the touch points and that, the, that they, could, they would interface with you, but also the journey that the user would take to arrive at their goals, right? So um, a, a, a very easy way to think about design thinking, maybe it's not from the digital world. I think um, uh, design thinking, uh, user experience, right? Not design thinking. Um, you know, maybe we can run it and maybe just your checkout experience at the airport. And um, let's say, you know, you, you had to go through the customs, you had to take your bags, you have to wayfind your way out of the airport, um, and your goal is to arrive home safe and sound and rest, right? So um, what are the all the touch points that you interface with, um, you know, be it uh, checking out at the uh, counter, meeting the flight attendant, all these touch points, you know, um, uh, are, are components that make up um, um, the sum of its parts, right? The user experience of um, of checking out of the airport. Um, maybe an, another thing that I keep reminding myself is that um, use, when why I say it's about the goal of the user, and, and why is it it's it's sometimes not very rational, um, is that humans sometimes are affected by psychological behaviors, right? So I think there was a research done on um, an airport, and they were saying, um, you know, uh, the ac- the actual amount of time that they so there's two A/B tests they did, right? Um, and the first the first test they administered, so both both are the same amount of duration that you would need to actually check out of a U.S. airport, yeah. right? And one involved um, eight minutes of walking to get your luggage, and then uh, one minute of waiting um, um, to get your passport stamped and out of the customs. Um, the other uh, requires eight minutes of waiting and one minute of walking uh, um, uh, to, uh, to get your luggage um, and eight minutes of waiting at the customs. Yeah. Now, now, logically speaking, or from engineering mindset, right, both, both would be equate the same outcome. You need to wait um, nine minutes to get out the airport, yeah. right? But most people prefer the first one, the former, where I wait um, one, uh, where I walk eight minutes and I wait one minute, rather than I wait eight minutes and I walk one minute. So, so, so this is what I mean by user experience, right? Yeah. Um, it's sometimes very hard to measure, yeah. and I think this is where uh, the inquisitive mind uh, comes in. It sounds like that the that that a, the A/B test airport um, um, kind of pointed out the existence of the importance of the illusion of control. So yeah. there, there is a bias towards um, eight minute walk and one minute wait because when I'm walking, I feel that I'm in control of yeah. my own time. So, you know, uh, I think this is something we, we learn through some of the various user interviews every day. People uh, want to feel they're in control when, even though they might not be. And, and, and there's something I think Facebook and all the social media platforms do very well. Um, yeah. With that, maybe, maybe uh, what are some of the recent trends you observe in UX um, that you think uh, could be interesting for our audience? Yeah, um, I think uh, maybe my experience would be more relevant to the Southeast Asia region's context because mm. this is the primary market that I've worked in. 
um, when when it comes to design and user experience. I think um, the industry is in the infancy stage of maturing, right? Trying to define um, the practice of design thinking or how do companies leverage design and the multitudes of roles, right? You have interaction designers, you have copywriters, you have UX writers, you have UX UI designer, you have UI engineer. So, so uh, with, with any industry, there's going to be a lot more specialization going forward. But the trend that I do see um, a lot of companies taking is wanting to move um, design away from aesthetics into um, really about, you know, building a, a, a product that people love and as a result, drive retention, drive loyalty, drive word of mouth. I think companies are starting to realize that. But I think the approach to us finding out how to satisfy the customers, the, the industry has picked up on, you know, this idea of a design thinking process that you, you know, you just, you go through, you, you first empathize with your customers, you iterate, um, you run experiments, um, and then you create a proof of concept, right? And, and then you get the learning back and then it's back to iteration. Mm. Um, but I think that that trend is, um, I, I think it goes with any industry, right? Where you, you, where people who are entering and learning, they need some form of process. Yeah. But I think with most of the mature practitioners that I've met, um, uh, uh, no, what I've heard from them is that, you know, uh, design thinking is not a step-by-step process. It's a framework of how you approach, hmm. um, um, solutions and the context that are embedded within. So, um, I think a lot of people are now talking about product thinking, uh, where, you know, you need to contextualize um, your design problems or your user experience problems uh, with the business outcomes or the constraints that you have. And you cannot really put it through a very formal um, step one, step two, step three process. Yeah. This, Yeah. Yeah. So very interesting what you say there, because... Um... And this is also something I observed, uh, again, because, uh, and further accelerated by COVID and, you know, financial pressure. Every dollar's got to go further. Yeah. And everything we do now has to tie to a measurable business outcome, like what you said. Um, you know, and I like what you said that, that product thinking is not linear or it's not a step by step process or even a checklist. Um, it, it's kind of a virtual cycle and it never ends, right? So you always make small iterations, small incremental improvements and iterations to a product and over time they compound hopefully into a product that your customer loves and then they, they, they stay stay on. Um, yeah. With that, what are some of the products that come to the top of your mind that, that does that very well and maybe we can, we should model against or we should take learning points away from? Yeah, uh, I... I can't think of one right out of the gate, uh, but I would say if you look at major, uh, you know, fang products or uh, Facebook or WhatsApp, um, maybe let, let's take WhatsApp for an example, right? I think um, uh, um, there, there is a, um, you would see that, you know, there would be some deliberate principles in place um, where, uh, WhatsApp knows how it wants to compete in the market. Um, so what I mean by that is that when we start a design discovery effort, right, we'll try to map out maybe for, for within the space of communication, how would people want to communicate? 
why do they want to communicate? And then we will start exploring a lot of ideas, right? Then you have now very different products, differentiated products in the market, all the way from TikTok mm-hmm. to Signal, which yep. privacy, right? But then um, what I think is applied in um, products like WhatsApp, it's the core tenet of uh, simplicity, being lightweight, um, being secure. Um, although, you know, um, Facebook doesn't do a good job marketing that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, um, and, and knowing what features to add, um, what not to add, what would, would continue to add on to its uh, product competitive advantage, right? Mm. So today, the first thing that you want, if you want to chat with someone very easily and doesn't require, you know, um, much bells and whistle, you would download WhatsApp. It's the most lightweight communication app that works on devices that don't have a lot of RAM, don't have a lot of uh, memory, and it works well for second, uh, third tier economies as well. So the way I would, you know, learn from them is knowing very clearly like what market segment you're going after and how you want to uniquely position yourself in the market. Hmm. Um, and, and this is, this is, important because when you, you when you start exploring design, right, you will map out all these very generic ways like users want to communicate. The best way users want to communicate is to do this, do that, do that, do that, do that. But then you have a lot of opportunity areas, right? Yes. But if you end up doing all of it, then uh, uh, that's not really uh, um, uh, possible, right? Realistic as well. But uh, that's where I think the gap might happen mm. when... when um, from maybe if you've done some user experience research and you map it back and you're wondering why does not the business build this, all these features? This is what the customer really needs or want. But then that might be technology constraints, market constraints, uh, business strategy uh, constraints that, you know, governs uh, how the user experience should be built as well. Yeah. And, and I think much has been written about this as well. Uh, what if, what, some, what some people out there call feature bloat. So, you know, very ambitious product-led companies tend to fall into this trap where they, um, they, they. I mean, they they also focus a bit a lot on the user, but um, um, they 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 don't feel like they're making progress unless they're building something new, or they're they're entering they're capturing another part of the market, and, yeah. and some companies fall into the trap. I mean, how 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 would what's your advice to you know guard against that? I think. Um... It's, everyone sees this, right? You, yeah. you, the first thing you need to learn about product is to say no. Mm. And, but how can you say no? The only way you can say no is that you understand your customers well enough, yep. understand your market condition well enough. And yeah. I would think that, you know, um, uh, th- then that would translate into a prioritization because you would know how this particular feature would, would actually impact the segment that that um, is important for your business or mm. I, I think um, if you read a lot of the uh, founding journeys of a lot of products like slack like uh, you know even for zoom uh, uh, you will start to learn that there are a lot of um, uh, uh, winding paths or, or there are a lot of um, decision paths that they've taken right and they've carefully said no to certain things um, yeah. the other the other they, so I, I uh, remembered uh, uh, some. Uh, so so maybe if you look at uh, Google Chat or you look at iMessage, right? Yeah. Uh, 
or, or if you look at Apple's product in general, uh, not not saying that they're, they're the only holy grail of design, but just something as simple as allowing people to reply to a message as a threat. <laughs> Why do you not prioritize that? All right, like like sometimes um, I would be confused. Like hey, I thought this is a very hygiene feature. But why haven't you implemented it or it took so long for you to implement that particular feature? But then um, if I look at the roadmap perspective, maybe there were a certain uh, decision made to focus on a certain segment of the customer or um, put the resources into um, developing something more engaging, maybe like the emojis or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 So there, yeah. there is a big picture element that to it as well and, and this also involves very close interfacing with your more senior stakeholders like the C level. Like yeah. I, I, I think that could be a challenge, right? I mean that's something that I think you, you faced before and maybe maybe uh, you want to talk about that a little bit about that and also other challenges of you know leading product design and UX in a fast moving startup where you know priorities change overnight sometimes. Yeah. I think, uh more than anything COVID has yeah. From that, right? Um, yes. Where cash flow, revenue, keeping the lights on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I learned it from someone, but I forgot who, but uh, it's often said to me like a product is not a business. Mm. Well, well, a good product does not make a good business. Yeah, a good product is something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think that's, that's where um, we we uh, not not just design but product practitioners as a whole need to be conscious of right where certain things that you know we were thought would be growing the company ten x five x suddenly needs to meet with the market realities or business realities and then you have to be agile and you have to change the roadmap accordingly um, to to reflect those priorities I think the challenge is how how do you uh, more or less understand how the company sees market forces, their competitors, and what's the company spending. And of course, not everyone will have privilege to all this information, but you could see from the investment made in terms of the roadmap or hiring, you know, um, does it reflect a strategy on, on whether it's a growth or is it, is it optimization or is it, um, focusing on launching new product lines, right? So you need to be very aware of this dynamics because then this is how uh, resource will be allocated. So once you start um, knowing the dynamics of this decision-making at a corporate level um, or within a startup, you know, uh, investors' interests, <laughs> uh, um, then then, you, then you'll then you be able to be able to, I, I wouldn't say... Uh, 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 debate, but I think it's, it's how you, you find a common ground. You try to find a common ground, yeah. But, but that, again, that that might be tricky for a lot of people out there because um, different companies have different communication cultures and dynamics. Some some um, some founding teams are very open. They tell their team, they tell their organizations almost everything. Some like to keep the cards close to their hand and and don't even announce that they are in trouble until the last minute and they fire everybody. So this, obviously these are like two ends yeah. of the spectrum. Yeah. There are a lot, most companies are fall somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, like you said, some, some people might not get access to this information and they had to make a lot of guesswork. Um, so is it, 
as a product leader, do you think it's then better to just ask? <laughs> ask your leaders, is, is this the, the, the new direction? You know, get an answer from them and, you know, is this something that you recommend that they should do? Yeah, I, I, um, I, I, I don't know what's the correct answer, but I think... What, there's, there are no correct answers, right? It's just yeah, a, yeah, there's a correct answer, but... It's a chat What works for me, what works yeah. for me is to always preface how I see the situation and how, how I would like to take the direction, um, especially as a, um, as a contributor to the strategy or as a compute contributor to the process, right? I, I think... Mm. Um, we we should also not just ask for the view of the company, but to also contribute our view. Yeah. Um, and always remember that one thing that we have as um, uh, product leaders or design leaders is that we represent the voice of our customers. And I think that that is something that maybe you know when it comes to um, the CEO, he might not be interfacing with the customer on the day to day. He might not have the full context, and I think smart um, um, product-driven companies, uh, you know, the the the, the C levels or the leaders would be very uh, cognizant of that, and so that's the ability for more bottom-up approach um, to listening to how you know we should fix certain things, how we should, um, uh, what kind of value we should create for the users. Mm. Um, and the customers, and I think um, you you should ask, but always come with a view. I think that helps drive the conversation going forward, rather than just saying, "Tell me what to do." I think it also comes with understanding your 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 leadership's DNA. Some leaderships are are more data driven, some are more ambitious, some are more conservative. Obviously, you speak in the language that they will mostly listen listen to and, and, and be prepared, right? If they're data-driven, have a lot of data. If they're yeah. ambitious, excite them is something that, that might change the game. If they're yeah. conservative, then you try to um, think about all the risk mitigations upfront and, and provide it to them. So I think I think um, understanding your leadership's culture is very important in, in a sense to yeah, yeah, just be two ways. Yeah. But I think one thing to add, right, is like as long as you you go back to what would be good for customers, I think that would be the baseline, right? So, um, I think at least you 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 get over your own conscience mm. that you're not doing what mm. the leaders just tell you to do, but you got over the conscience that okay, I think this is what my yeah. customers need. Mm. Then you play into the communication style of that company. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Again, like now, uh, now it's kind of a stress test for a lot of the product teams out there. Yeah. Um, so the stress is you're right. The stress comes from the investors, right? The investors, yeah. uh, when the money, when the com- when companies start to get a, get into a cash crunch or kind of like a, a crisis, then they go to the investors. And investors say that I'm not confident to give you more money unless you show me this, and this means a certain set of metrics, be it better better profitability metrics, better margins, or you know a certain penetration or market share, whatever that is, and then leadership. Because they want to keep the lights on, they'll be very focused on chasing those metrics, and they'll go to the product teams and say, "Deliver those metrics." Yeah. Then the stress comes down, and, and I think it, I, I really, really agree with you that product teams will have to be the balancing force. Right? We are aware of all these business constraints. Uh, we need to deliver 
cash flows, etc., etc. But this is what the customers want. If you don't give what the customers want, you're never going to get there anyway. So I think you are the balancing force in the company, and it's very important um, for product teams to have a backbone. Basically, basically, um, that's that's what I always say. If product teams don't have a backbone, then um, the company is just not, not going to get very far. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, uh, challenges aside, I think let's go to the positive areas. What, what do you think are the most rewarding aspects uh, of leading product uh, product design and UX in a, in, a, in a startup? Uh, I think this is where uh, you, and I always, the, the thing that I enjoy the most, right, is about is problem solving. And um, problem solving don't start from coming up with ideas. I think problem solving comes with discovering problems. Mm. Um, I think that's that's a very important caveat that um, any product teams need to know. So how much time uh, should you spend on problem problem discovery and definition versus you know, creating the solution? What's, what's the divide of time? Uh, my, my rule, my general rule would be... Uh, you you will want to spend more time, so like sixty forty, because because solving the right problem and understanding the tenets of the problem, the factors contributing to the problem, right, and then uh, solutioning, iterating, like coming up with the design solution, coming up with the product concept. I feel is 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 generally, you know, less less strenuous and less. Uh, is is I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's just that. You have so many um, tried methods that you can benchmark with, right? That that you can fix. But if you don't understand what's causing that problem, uh, uh, for example, like you know, uh, ship is sinking, and and you immediately just go fix the first hole that you can see, but you don't realize which is the actual hole that's sinking the whole ship. Then you end up not really driving anything forward, right? Mm. But not now. The thing is also with also how much you know about the problem, right? How much, what's the confidence level that you have? So do you need more information to de-risk? So a technique that I use with a lot of my team is what I call a day one hypothesis. So with what we know as of today, um, how would the solution look like? And then you start writing down all your assumptions. Mm. And you, because to be honest, we cannot be researching everything. We cannot be, uh, maybe some, uh, problems, you know, you can fix very easily um, and you don't want to fix perfectly. And I think that's something that, um, that that always happens, right? Like maybe the customer service form uh, missing a tag or missing a, a, a validator question or something like that. And then you don't have to go into in-depth uh, <laughs> research on how best to design customer service forms um, just because of the magnitude of the problem you're trying to solve. But in problems which I would say changes the baseline of your company or your product, right? You want to be investing more time in understanding the problem. It can be something as simple as, and I worked on a project before where we're trying to understand um, how to improve payment conversion rates, right? Mm. And if we immediately went in and we, we just looked at the conversion funnels data, um, that would be, that would give you an indicative of, okay, which, which part of the drop off, we should look at first, we should dig deeper into first. Um, and I think a lot of time, um, you want to work up the funnel, right, rather than work down the funnel. Mm. Uh, and then once you jump into that part, then this is where you need to do more discovery rather than 
go with the assumption, ah, I think it's the way we lease our payment methods. Mm. Because it might be so that people don't understand what is e-wallet. Mm. Something yeah. as basic as that. that yeah, that, and, 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 you, and you spend the time optimizing the layout of that list when yeah. your list categories doesn't even make sense. Mm. So, so uh, that's the fun part la, of, of, um, of product and user yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure whether we, it was with you where, where I had this interesting discussion before of uh, super app design, very trendy topic recently or in the last two years, you know, where they cutter so many things on the homepage and you know, users start to get confused or get very alienated. Some even get alienated. Like I, I used to use this app for a certain function and now I don't even know what this app is for or what this app is going to become. You know, um, what, what is your word of caution for uh, some of these teams out there that are trying to, you know, Again, it's going, slightly going back to feature board, but also, you know, playing to the investor's expectations that everybody has to become a super app to, you know, yeah. it becomes overreaching sometimes. So, you know, what's your word of caution? I think, uh, it's just a very tricky topic. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, but I, I think it goes back to, um, wherever you're moving towards, right? Um, I think, every company should strive to be best in class in something. Mm. I think that's really important because um, that would, you know, solidify your competitive advantage, right? And, and you know, uh, and I, I just go to old school brands, um, you know, Coke. Coke's always the happiness drink, right? You yeah. can do, you can diversify, you can do other things, but you always, it's known for that, um, um, that the core value that you're bringing to consumers. So, I would say the same with any companies with ambition to to um, become a super app. You would need to find what you're best in, yep. um, and I think consumers expect that um, because in the reality of things, you wouldn't. I mean, unless you have, uh, I'm not sure if you if some bank money is enough, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but unless you have a lot of resources. I don't think it's possible to be great at everything. Having too much resources is a problem in itself sometimes. But anyway, let's, <laughs> let's not go there. But yeah. Okay, yeah okay. And, and I think my, my general um, thinking, and again, you know, uh, this is, this is, I haven't, um, I mean, I, I have had worked on a very similar project that you mentioned, homepage design. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I remember the project. We were together in the project, Project Dora. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, I think that that for me is uh, I, I think some companies do it very well, right? Uh, in terms of making sure that they don't compromise on why the consumers use their product in the first place. Yeah. But but I but if it's decided that it's time to diversify, it's time to move our strategy base to something else. And if you look at Grab, you know they've moved right hailing to become less discoverable in their app. It's not financial products at the, at the top and the food delivery, yeah. food delivery and financial products. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's always a reflection of the market realities. Lah. So, um, but, but I would say if you are a travel company or if you are a, a video chat company um, and, and that's what's bringing your revenue in, um, make sure you continue to do that well as you diversify rather than being stagnant with that particular vertical and then 
um, divert your efforts and into others. But at least from what I see, most super apps, they understand this philosophy. Mm. And, and super apps, again, don't like to talk too much about super apps. It's a fluff word to me, but you know, uh, these companies like to do a lot of things. Uh, there are two paths. Right? One, you build everything yourself so that you have full control. Another way you go kind of like a set hybrid open source where you partner with an ecosystem of developers who build on top of your, your, your infrastructure. Yeah. Kind of like Slack. Um, and, uh, and a lot of various US SaaS companies where they invite a lot of other developers to come in and build solutions on top of their platform. To you, which, what are the pros and cons of each path? And yeah. what do you lean towards to? I think um, it depends on how vertic- vertically integrated your user experience is. Mm. Um, so I would say that, let's say for Salesforce, um, maybe your, 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 your base is in CRM, right? Yeah. But then uh, with any company, with CRM comes the marketing component, mm. comes the customer satisfaction component, Correct. comes the research component. Now, uh, I think you, you, it's very hard for them to build from, even with, with the resources that Salesforce has, because it's not just pumping in engineers to build a research, market research survey tool company yeah. or analytics company. You, you have to have the, gone through the battlefield of making all the product positions, understanding. It's like Microsoft Teams, right? Um, yeah. uh, uh, I would still say that it's, it's very much in its infancy stage, even with Microsoft resources. Compact with um, Slack, it's still trying to find its 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 form, right? Mm. Um, um, I, I today on my team's desktop, you can't reply in thread anyway. So uh, yeah, that's that's super annoying. Um, and <laughs> they have a lot of design uh, loop gaps that uh, yeah that really annoy yeah. me on a day to day basis. But anyway, so, so yeah, so so that's what what I what I'm saying is yeah. that um, uh, even if you have resources, you can't build a great product. Mm. And this is why companies acquire, mm. and um, and and why you become open source is because you know that you know you you your your consumers need that particular solution, mm. uh, but you cannot deliver a great product out there, and that's why you need to um, incorporate that. But in a case where you can be very vertically integrated, where you can um, uh, maybe with if I if like Airbnb going into um, from from hotels to experiences, it's not that a far leap, and and it it, it all boils down to their whole strategy on host. Yeah, still host driven, right? The core yeah, of it is still yeah, the core is still host driven. Yeah, in that sense, but going into flight is a different thing. Yeah, because there's no host in the flight. Yeah, yeah. Their the, the, the DNA, you can't really transfer that DNA. Yeah, yeah. Airlines. Maybe airlines can try to be host in the COVID situation stage. <laughs> you mean the flights to nowhere? You stay in the sky and then you come back. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's what I mean. It's where, where you can see that vertical integration and synergy happen. Uh, but I, I, I would say like, um, I would say even in experience booking, right? Like booking, a, and I, you worked on this before. Uh, yeah. Like booking a, a Hess dresser is also a very different experience with you know, uh, buying a food voucher or, yeah, so so it's not yeah. that simple, right? It's a spectrum of how transactional it is. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and hairdressing is like on the other end compared to food yeah. vouchers. Yeah. Well, in, in the, the most recent product that I worked on is photography, right? So mm. 
the, the company I work for, we, we offer on-demand photography and we started with travel photography, but in order for us to move from travel photography all the way to wedding photography, it's not an easy leap as just enabling a marketplace feature. Because mm. your supply is different, the user experience is different, the journey that the users take is different. So consideration criteria is very different. Yeah, yeah. 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 And the dollar amount spent and then decision making process is very different as well. So you need right. to consider that. Yeah. So it's kind of back to basics, right? You, you, first, you need to know the market segment, and once you you identify and know the market segment, you need to know the customers very well. Yeah. You need to know the problem very well. Define the problem. Um, very very tightly, and then you, uh, you well, was like, once you define the problem very tightly, then you have to you know, uh, you know, keep it very focused and right? come up with a north star. What's that? What you want to deliver? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I guess that makes it that makes that makes it what that makes it very rewarding to be in, in product design today because there are, there are a lot of product design challenges um, being thrown at the teams today. And, and COVID has accelerated their movement, you know. Um, and 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 I think. Very well, Christmas one. Yeah. <laughs> and so, what 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 advice do you have for some companies out there who are just starting out early in this, you know, journey of uh, digitization and also you know think, kind of like product design, and and whatnot. Yeah, I think, I think embedded in any, um, companies or people who started companies and businesses, and great respect to them because. Um, if you manage to get, you know, your first three thousand dollars in, right? That means you've ident- successfully identified a need that people are willing to pay for, and you have to keep to that roots. And you need to keep talking to your customers. You know, do weekly, bi-weekly outreach to your consumers to really understand what digitalization really means to them. Mm. And it's not really just about listing your products online, right? So, um, uh, but but because you are Starting, maybe you're a retailer trying to become digital, digital, and you realize that, oh my God, digitalization is not just about putting my objects online and, and allowing people to pay online. It's got to do with supply chain management. It's got to do with my ordering workflow, how I operate customer service. Um, you know, um, and, and, and I think the general expectations of consumers of online experiences has now been elevated, right? It's very different from five years ago. So, I, but I think if you have that retail blood in you or you have that very customer-centric and driven blood in you, right, that is when you need to use that and remember to apply that hospitality to the digital experience itself. Mm. Um, yeah. And you also have two sets of customers, now that you mentioned it. Um, you yeah. have external customers who are your people who pay you and you have internal customers who do the op- who are responsible running operations. Yeah. And you, you also need to make the lives of people in the organization easy because they directly actually impact the, the, the UX as well at, at many touch points. Yeah, I just spoke with, uh, recently I had a chance to have a chat with the CEO um, of a pretty big uh, tech company, right? And then he, he mentioned this and I, I thought it was very important point is that um, he invests in UX for his internal employees as well because, um, and he gave me an example of if I'm able to let my customer service team see everything in one screen mm. and the previous chat history, and, and even though we have to pay a bit more, uh, he's willing to do that because he knows then that the customer service is more better equipped to to um, to, to to serve the customers, right? Yeah. And caveat being then, 
you need to treat your internal digital transformation efforts as also user efforts. Mm. You know, it's no, it's not an IT procurement effort. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a very important mindset. A lot, I think a lot of these companies are approaching it as an IT procurement effort. Um, yeah, I mean, especially the more companies that have been around longer have uh, have have approached this as an IT procurement effort, and that's where they stumble because they they forget that tools are used by people and people drive adoption and adoption can only increase when culture changes. And that's the hardest part to change, culture habits, right? So that's why I I tell my portfolio company as well. You want, if you want to be, you want to move towards a more data-driven decision-making, first thing you need to change is culture. And that's the hardest thing to to do, which is, uh, if you want to talk about it today, we we, we won't end on time. (laughs) A whole yeah. different topic together. Maybe we can adjust in another episode. Uh, but again, it's something that that also keeps me out at night whenever uh, I think about my portfolio companies. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I I think with that, that we can segue to kind of the last question, uh, last part of piece of the agenda. You know, in terms of team, process, vision, analytics, how do they rank in importance to good to coming out with good UX and good products? Yeah. I think the premise of the question is we have to rank it and that makes it fun, right? Yes. <laughs> it's always more challenging like that, right? If, I, if, I, if you can just put everything equally then no fun than that. <laughs> the team, process, vision, analytics, right? Yeah. I always believe team first. Mm. I think aligning with the team on, and you're not talking about tools that you're using, you're talking about, okay, what set of principles are we going to use to um, think about our problems? How are we going to address a problem? What does excellent look like? What mm. does um, defining your your north star, right? What, yeah. what the key? What, what does success look like? Very important and companies yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think it could it could be even start on how we set up meetings, how we um how, because everything translates later on. Because in order for you to do let's say analytics effort, right? Yeah. Then you need very well documented event trackers. You need very well. It's you need discipline to enforce all these processes and analytics, right? So I think, you know, for me, it's always starting with the team, empowering the team, um, getting the team on the same page on uh, the definition of done. What does done look like for us? Basically solidifying that social contract with, between you and your team, right? Yeah. Hmm. And and I think uh, I will start with team first. And I think later on, um, I would say process. Uh, um, I think why I value... Um, process is because then it replicates um, excellence. It replicates um, your approach. Um, and whoever comes and join the company, they have a framework of how things can be done. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that the processes are rules, but processes are there to help facilitate being onboarded much faster, right? So, um, okay. So, for example, um, a process could be maybe um, how do we do handoff to our engineers? Uh, how do we uh, uh, onboard newcomers? What kind of information should be provided for them? Um, so you you always be in a mode, especially for startups. I, I think a lot of people miss this out. Is that you know you think oh, yeah I will build the process and maybe I'll go I'll go read it tomorrow. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did maybe when I raise my next series uh, then yeah. I, will, I will think about onboarding or something. And they always kick the can out of the road or they always have this uh, misconception that any every, every process I build today, I'll, I'll grow it very quickly and there's no point in building it. There's yeah. no point in codifying 
uh, SOPs, there's no point in you know keeping yeah. things in structure because the structure breaks down very quickly. And that's a uh, that at that kind of mindset ha- has shown to be very very, very uh, dangerous in, in COVID. Yes. <laughs> so I, again, yeah, uh, I totally agree with the point. Yeah. I think um, uh, it's going to be controversial, but I'm putting vision last. <laughs> oh, so after so it's team process analytics is third and and you know and you put vision last. So interesting. Uh, people, I, some, a lot of people will always think that vision is you know Steve Jobs. You know, vision is very important. I actually spoke with a few founders before, and um, maybe it's more related to founders. And I, I personally also agree. Like, right? I think vision is vision is something you sell your counterparts on, but maybe you, you sell have- to investors. Oh, you sell the investment. <laughs> but in the back of your head, sometimes you have self-doubt. Like, yeah. And, 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 uh, but, but that's part of the leadership, la, the hard part of leadership. But in terms of getting a product out in the market, right? Of course, you will need like a product vision. But I would say more than anything, right? That vision, especially for early stage startups, is very fluid. Hmm. Again, my context is early startups, right? Yeah. It's very fluid because you're always pivoting, like, I just heard so many pivot story before. Like, what you had in mind is not how the actual market receives it, and 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 um, you know, like like Code Academy, right? They started from uh, a classroom technology, and then they did a few days sprint, and then they get they got to teaching code online. Mm. Um, that's why I think like um, vision. I'm I'm the type of person that can relate to vision as I see reality happening and I, I start to see the possibility of okay this this is potential to go this way or that way but not necessarily starting with like doing a vision exercise right out of the gate um, while in your form, very very formative environment mm. that, that that is my personal take and and why analytics because then um, number one it's not that I, I, w- I would say right it, a bit controversial as well, is not everything, not all success needs to be measured in qualitative terms. I think this is something that we need to always have in mind, especially if you're a product leader or you're, you're a product manager, right? Yeah. There's a there's a social context to certain priorities. You know, um, uh, so so uh, I think there's a common saying, something... Uh, What's measured will be done, or something like that. What's, you... uh, what's not measured will not improve, or you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's not measured will not improve, but yeah. but I think um, let let's take it with a pinch of salt because there are really certain things that are incredibly hard to measure, although you know it's the right thing to do. Mm. Uh, maybe like, you know, how would um, launching this, fixing this bug, or launching this feature? affect the bottom line of revenue. But maybe after you spend one week doing the revenue analysis, you, you could have gone and fixed that bug. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 so so any like conversations that uh CEOs or product leaders, if they come in and they, they just say how much revenue you'll make, right? Then I would personally avoid those kind of conversations or <laughs> not join the kind of company. Uh, because the premise should always be what what problems you want to solve first, uh, then what's the best way to demonstrate progress on that? And maybe you have a lot of indirect proxies um, to help you to see that, right? But um, and hence analytics is still key. Um, it helps to put in a few um, 
uh, it helps you to go into the problem very quickly because it measures the uh, maybe where the problem lies or it helps you to see the magnitudes of problem but it won't explain to you why certain things happen yeah, mm. yeah. And, and that kind of goes back into your your background in, in human behavior studying human behaviors yeah. I mean, some parts of human behavior just cannot be easily quantified yeah because if we rational <laughs> yeah, they're not yeah they are they're predictably irrational quoting the yeah. uh, Richard Taylor I think yeah so common sense is not very common sometimes so yeah. <laughs> it's uh, something uh, which, is why I, I, which is why I, I named my podcast and my blog common sense but although I call it dollars and cents um, yeah so yeah. very interesting um, and you know I, I think I learned a lot today from you Emmett again and I, I really thank you uh, and I hope for me to share yeah and um, any parting words from the audience before we, we wrap this up uh, I think in this era i mean in this situation i think everyone can uh you know take 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 more introspective time don't be too hard on yourself if you're not hitting those matrix uh, don't be hard on yourself if you have to change your plans you know on a bi-weekly basis on a weekly basis mm. because uh when i first uh joined uh my previous company uh i spent a month coming up with a year-long uh, uh strategy roadmap mm. And, and in, within two weeks, everything changed. <laughs> so uh, what I learned is to, it's okay to slow down to speed up. Yeah. yeah. yeah one, I totally agree. Some, sometimes you need to go to a pit stop. Um, yeah. change, change the tires before you, 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 you go back to the racetrack. Yeah. You know? Or sometimes, yeah. sometimes there's a crash blocking the racetrack. You should not try to continue the race. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you're leading teams or you're leading companies, I think if you have the privilege or you have access to a longer runway, a uh, longer term vision, I think, you know, be in sync with the psychology uh, or the, or the um, physiological health of your employees and your teammates and, and, and know that, you know, it's okay to move a slower pace mm. um, or have a conversation on priorities. Mm. So I think, I think uh, my parting words is, uh, I hope everyone can pull through this time. Yeah, and yeah, and I totally agree that. I mean, investors' point of view is that I think the main discussions we had with the companies two, three months ago was what kind of growth mode should each of these companies be in, and then what did they need to do to shift to that gear? If they need a down gear, they have to you know, get there quickly. Yes. Don't don't take too long to get there. And then if you need to go into hibernation mode because your industry is just not there's no demand now, then you have to get you just have to do it. Right. Yeah. So um, I think uh, that's, that's something I totally agree with you. Uh, and with that, I think I, I, we, we will end today's episode and really thank you again for your time, Edmund. Um, I hope everyone out there learned something like I have and we, we stay tuned for the next one. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.